You're listening to the Say Chill podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. Say Chill is a social impact organization that helps people see who they're made to be so they can do what they're made to do. I remember that when uh, I was growing up, one of my worst difficulties, deepest wounds was coaches. I was scared to death of coaches, needed coaches, sought the approval of coaches. Uh, I finally figured out if I could die in glass, so to speak, then I would get approval. If I could harm me, you would appreciate me. It's that kind of thing, willingness to, to harm. So when Tennyson and William came into life, both of them really enjoyed playing baseball. I wasn't a baseball player. I was track, football, and basketball. And uh, so they loved baseball, so let's do baseball. But every time I was around the coaches, I was a little bit nervous raising them, all right? And uh, I adjusted to surviving coaches and never letting myself be known by a coach. I never let a coach know I was hurting. I never let a coach know I was scared. I never let a coach, my job was to be the soldier, the robot, the, the dude, if I wanted his love. So perform for love. Perform, perform to be valued, to perform to get to play. Because if you don't get to play, you're nothing. Now, in the seventh grade, uh, there's a player who was in, no, it was either the eighth grade, there was a seventh grader who got my uniform one game, and I got the uniform back the next game. So it told you how much I played. In other words, we shared a uniform, okay? I'm not playing a lot. And I'm also, uh, I was at, somehow I don't know how this happened, but the game, there are nine guys down there on the other end of the floor when I got to play one time. And I looked back and realized, like, what are they doing down there? I thought, well, I better go down there. Now, ten people on the floor in basketball, y'all know that? I don't know what I was doing down there. I swear, I just forgot or something. And I turned to go back to catch up. I stepped on my foot, and I fell down by myself down there. And I remember the sound of the floor. It was at the Oak Critchlow Gym. And the, it was, the building was just that close to being condemned every year, and we were in our 20th year. We're going to condemn it next year. So when I hit the floor, I was thought, I'm going to go through it. But I remember hitting the floor and realizing, like, I just fell. I'm by myself, and I could hear the floor. I could hear the echo of the floor. And I didn't ever want that to happen again. Hey, Coach, I, I want to play. I don't want to be that guy. So anyway, I remember we're over here at, uh, the, I guess, is it McKnight? Uh, but anyway, right by the sports comm. And it was a fall ball. I was uh, helping coach an eight-year-old team. Tennyson was pitching. An eight-year-old fall ball. The parents and a coach and the players were up against the screen. They were screaming at Tennyson. This, it was insane. I mean, I've never seen anything like it except maybe a pro game or a college game or something. And the, the grandfather of the coach was getting the kids to scream ugly things at Tennyson. I mean, if I were awake to myself emotionally, spiritually, just in terms of pure right and wrong, I would have said, Blue, c c stop this game. Y you boys, come off the field. This is ridiculous. You, either you do something about that or we're done for the day. That's just the obvious, right? Anybody who's healthy enough would see that, right? Not me. No. <laughs> no, I walk out to the mound to my 8-year-old who's already beginning to cry. I mean, he's acting normal. So I go out there and say, you hear that over there? You hear what they're calling you? I said, do you want to do this? 
I gave him the decision. He's eight. You know, I'm, I'm 40. You know, you're eight. I think you can handle this. You know, I did. I was eight. I dealt with it. So I leaned into him. I said, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And, and he said, yes. So in other words, I want to play, but not with that. I and mean, he's crying. He's telling me. Of course I want to play, Dad. I love this. I love this game, but something's off. I'm crying. All right? He said, yes. Yeah. So yes means, yeah, you want to do it? All right, well, here's what you do. You act like you don't hear a thing. You don't let them see. You don't let them know that it's hurting you. Okay? That way, boy. And I go back and stand there and let the thing keep going. Now, I see the grandfather later, and I said, I don't like what you did. That's the most I could muster. But do you realize during that experience, I didn't even think about anything but endurance, anything but endure, anything but get through it, stoicism. Don't let them see you feel. Don't you dare admit that you're human. You're eight. We've got to grow you up right now. Well, I started the training there. I was a dad of love until it came to the world that they spent most of their lives living in. Now, listen to this. I was a great dad until it came to the world they spent most of their lives living in. Do you get that? But do you know after the games when he needed a dad, when things would not go like he wished they would, do you know what I would do? Coach, hey, son, you need to think about this. Your swing is this. Your this is that. He didn't need a coach. He needed his daddy. But see, I didn't want them to defeat him. I didn't want them to get to him. You do your talking with your bat. You don't let them get you down. You don't let them get your heart. I didn't give him a place to go on some levels. Now, I didn't know that until later. He would fight me. Dad, I don't need to hear that. I know, I know, son. And I would promise Sonia after the game, I would get wisdom from other guys who had been through athletics before. Number one thing I regret doing was trying to coach my son after the game. I said, gotcha, gotcha. I just practiced not saying anything after the game, they would say. Gotcha, gotcha. I won't say a word, not a word. Son, did you think about so-and-so? <laughs> I couldn't stop myself because I did not want him to go through the pain that was unfinished in me. You get that? And what's amazing is later he tells me that uh, to Steve referred to, Tennis and I went out to Idaho fishing. And you got to understand, I love these boys, these men. I love them so much. Like, you tell me I'm blind, son, show me. Just show me where my eyes need to land, and I will see what I need to see. Because I'd rather have you than my ego. I'd rather have you than my pride. I'd rather have you than, than, than to, to, to live. I mean, I, I brought you here to love you, and I'm going to finish the job. And I'm going to do it by being as much human as I possibly can, because that's the only thing I have to give you. And so we're in Idaho fishing, and we were, we were smoking cigars, and we're by this, this hot water pool watching the moon come up over some little peaks in Idaho. I just dreamed of doing this with him. We're just having to just talking and sharing and college is over. The disappointments of coming to a conclusion. Such a tragedy the way his, his college years ended in baseball. Just, I just, my heart was just broken and with his. And I couldn't do anything about it. So I kind of quit talking by then. All I was just do was just, son, I'm here. And I remember one time he said, um, Dad, nothing really matters. I'm not really. I've read Ecclesiastes. I know what Job says now. I get it. I said, but he said, it's all kind of meaningless. And I said, no, no, it's not all meaningless. You mean something to me. I remember his face went, yeah, that's something. Do you know that, 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 yeah. 
So he was sitting there in Idaho, and he said, Dad, you know what? He said, I sure did hate you. I scared of you. What for? Because what you would do after the games. Because I knew I I'd had, basically was saying, I knew I didn't have a place to go. I would have to listen to you, and because I love you, I would do it. I'd just try to make something out of this stupid stuff you would say. Now, I'm the coach. Now, I, wasn't, I didn't coach really much. I just said eight years old, I was done. But listen to this, watch this. I said, William, listen, I'm watching you hit, and you're swinging like, you're swinging like this, like this. The ball's coming, you're swinging like this. I watched you for years, so you need to be swinging like this. You see, you need to be swinging like this. Do y'all see the difference? <laughs> There's not any. He said, Dad, Dad, you're crazy. He said, you, you're showing me, let me show what you showed me, Dad. You're showing me, swing like this, now swing like that. It's, all, it's no difference, Dad. I'm like, okay, okay, but I'm working on the only thing he could do is finally laugh at me. That was the closest we could come. Dad, you, you, you're an idiot. <laughs> and it's like the idiocy was directly connected to unfinished business, a childhood of seeking the approval, the wounds, the name-calling, the insults, the shame. And what's so ironic about that, to show that over the years, the, the willingness to face, you know, the neediness, that uh, Steve and I actually last Friday did a conference for coaches. <laughs> and I was the main speaker for coaches. And what was so cool was realizing that the coaches who came there were looking for how to do it differently. It was amazing. And I kind of thought in my old self it was going to be one way, but I had eyes to see and a heart to recognize that these guys were doing it differently and looking for how to do it even more differently than they had before. So it was really amazing to start bringing them the truth that, that encouragement has so much more power than shame. And that, Coach, your job is to love these kids who are dying to be loved. When I was a freshman in high school, there were 88 kids that went out for freshman football. We were 14 years old, and by the end of three weeks, there were 15 of us left. And if you, in the Central High School annual, if you look at those 15 kids, every single one of those kids was an orphan of heart. Every single one of those kids was looking for somebody to say, you've done enough. It's amazing. Black, white, it didn't make a difference. Because I know them all. Children of alcoholics, roughed up. I mean, it was just never going to be enough. Littlest kid, big brother had to seek the approval. All of us in that picture were looking for daddy's validation, daddy's approval. It was just amazing. So, and, and, and I remember that one of the coaches, uh, and that the, uh, I, I, I was the 15th guy left, and I remember we had to practice so hard one day, I decided I was going home. I was, there were going to be 14 after me. And I remember, I knew if I went home, that that was the end of something. But I was so worn out, I couldn't do it anymore. And a coach walked up to me when we had to run a second 400 meter, 440 then. We, we had practiced four hours and we had to run two 440s under a minute and 10 seconds with cleats. With no water. With what? No water. No water. We didn't have water. Water was still for weakness. Water was we, crazy. I'm from that era. Water was weakness. I'm 59. I know about that. And you get sued now. Uh, but but uh, a coach walked up to me. I said, I can't do it. And a coach patted me on the side and said, yeah, you can. You can do it. And he patted me, and I did it. Now, hear me. He patted me. 
an orphan of the heart, got touched in heart, my rib cage, and, and it was this rib cage actually, and it was 1972, so how long ago was that? 45 years ago, I can still feel his touch. He said, you can do it, and I did it. And two minutes and 42 seconds later, I ran a 440 that I had to run in a minute and 10 seconds. It took me all day long to get around, but he touched me, and so I could. The power of our hearts being touched was amazing, and what I was, I was willing to never have a self to get the approval. That's the power of approval. And that's the importance of unfinished business because I set both of my sons up on some level to have to work to get my approval, to, to on some level achieve what they wanted to do anyway before I could be okay on some level. And I know it's not completely finished with us in a lot of ways, but it's like where you have unfinished business, wherever your wounds are you don't talk about, whatever, you know, if you say you came from a great family, then I say you're harming your children, okay? If you say you came from a, a highly and a good religious family, I say you're harming your children. If you come from a family of, of chaos and harm that you know was there and you haven't owned the emotional impact, I say you're harming your children. If you come from a family that doesn't do feelings and you gotta read the book, The Voice of the Heart, and I know I sound adamant because I am, but if you come from a family that didn't do feelings, then you came from an unhealthy family because you were doing something to avoid them. And I'm really not kidding. And that means you have unfinished business. If you come from a place where you don't do feelings and you're not doing them now, you've got unfinished business that needs to be finished so your children have the opportunity to come, become really good at being human. And your crap doesn't get in the way of lives that's gonna be full of crap anyway for them. This is Stephen James, the Executive Director of Sage Hill Counseling. Thanks for listening to the Sage Hill Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. Sometimes in life, we get stuck or blocked or reach an impasse. At times like these, an intensive short-term therapy can help you overcome what's keeping you from the growth and change you desire. At Sage Hill Counseling, we offer therapeutic intensives to help couples gain new momentum in their recovery process. If you want to find out more, please visit Sage Hill Counseling.